so on social media for the podcast, I follow like Anchor and, and Spotify, whatever it may be. And Anchor comes out with these recommendations of what new product to buy in, in 2021 for your podcast, all this stuff. So obviously you have your your microphones, your microphone stands, your I don't know, speakers, even stuff like that. And then there's an item that's uh, basically like podcasters essential pack or, or bag of just like lip balm um what else uh water probably some tea or something like like stuff like that i mean i think it's a little bit overrated i think um i think sandpaper is the way to go just a nice 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 uh, sheet of sandpaper for breakfast that, that really really soothes the throat you know it just it gives you that raspy sports radio talk voice, you know. It's um, it's really, it's really good. I I think I think any any water is is just non-essential. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make you look tough. Um, even though this is just podcast and you can't see me, um, I still want to look tough. Um, while, while I'm doing this and. <coughs> <coughs> Uh, see, see, nothing's wrong. Nothing's, nothing's wrong. I, I, it's just, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes the, the sand just gets caught in your throat. I mean, that's, that's just a soothing mechanism and, and that's how, that's how it goes. I mean, that's, I mean, that's podcasting one-on-one right there. Um, but, but anyway, welcome to Spencer Speak Sports Friday. Uh, gonna dive into some, just a few topics today, but um, it's still still a decent amount of talk with them, of course. Um, and then you have, uh, yeah, I mean, this Saturday and Sunday, big NFL divisional games coming up. Not like Super Wildcard Weekend. It's just, I mean, you start with Super for Wildcard Weekend. You don't want to, like, disappoint, so you might as well make it Super uh, Divisional, Super Conference Championship, and you're at the Super Bowl. There we go. Like you wanna just call it bowl, right? I mean that's what's what's the point of that. Um but yeah, so yesterday or Wednesday we had a a big trade in the NBA happen. The main piece of that was James Harden. He is now going to the Brooklyn Nets from the Houston Rockets. And I need everybody to stay with me here because this is a detailed trade a lot of moving pieces this turned into this wasn't just like between the nets and the rockets this was a four-team trade where pieces got moved all over the place so the nets get james harden that's that's it at least i think that's that's what i saw that's just james harden the rockets okay everybody hang on okay ready everybody ready all right here we go so the rockets get victor oladipo from the pacers they get Dante Exum from the Cavaliers, and they get Rodion's Kuruks. That's the best I got for that name uh, from the Nets. Okay, everybody, everybody got me. Everybody, hang on. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Ready? The Rockets also get four first-round picks, so they get a 2022 first-round pick, 2024 first-round pick, 2026 first-round pick from the Nets, and then they also get another 2022 first-round pick, um, that being from, 
I believe Milwaukee, but Milwaukee wasn't part of this trade. I think the Cavs acquired that pick, so that's why that got traded as well. So those are the first, uh, the four first round picks right there. All right, all right, everybody's still good. Everybody, everybody got me. Everybody's everybody with me here. All right, here we go. Then there's four first round pick swaps. So let me explain what that is. So, and this is for 2021, 2023. 2025 and 2027. So basically the years that those four first round picks weren't in. Um, so say the Nets finish, uh, let's see, they, they win the title, right? So they have the, the 30th uh, pick in the draft because the best team gets the lowest pick in the round and the Rockets finish, I don't know, to where they're 18th in the draft order. So in those years of 21, 23, 25, 27, the Nets, I mean, not the, not the Nets, the, uh, the Rockets can swap a pick. Now, in that case, that wouldn't, they wouldn't do that because they're already up ahead in the draft. But if the Nets for some reason are terrible, like to where they have, say, the 12th pick and the Rockets are at 18, then they would want to swap that, the Rockets would, to get a better pick. So if the Nets end up playing good, like they're probably supposed to with the James Harden acquisition, then those may not be useful at all, right? Because why would you why would you swap to be lower in the draft unless you, um, yeah, there would, there would be no reason because you would rather just trade down uh, instead of swapping. Um so there's so there's that. So there's the what all the Rockets have. They are building for the future, no doubt. And the Nets are playing for the right now. Now you also have I did mention players from the Pacers and the Cavs like Oladipo and Exum. So the Pacers they get Karis LeVert. So he was part of the uh, the deal to Houston for Harden, but then Houston decided to trade LeVert to the Pacers along with the second round pick, I believe in the year 2023. So, so Levert and a 2023 second round pick are going to the Pacers, technically from Houston. The Cavaliers, they got Jared Allen, Tareem Prince, and Alexander Viznetskov from the, the Brooklyn Nets. So the Nets send three players to the Cavs that way. And so let me just, <laughs> everybody good. Everybody got this. Everybody fine. All right. All right. All right. So let me just kind of go through and just go over like the impacts of the team. So like I said, with the Rockets, big build towards the future, a ton of first round picks. Um, I doubt unless they struggle, I doubt any Lottery picks are very few lottery picks because I think the Nets will be successful. But right now they sit at 14th in the Western Conference, which is terrible because they're, you know, there's fit out of 15 teams, not great. But then you have to realize like this is very early in the season still. We're just about 10 games in, a little over 10 games in, and they're only one game out of the playoffs. I think the Spurs right now are at the eighth seed and so yeah, so there's it's still a lot up in the air. Um, this is good for Houston's key, team chemistry, 
because they just I, I don't think things would progress that way with James Harden. Uh, I, I think it would it's it was a bad kind of relationship from apparently from the, the summer like one once some um, players knew or, or the players were like traded to the teams and the rosters were kind of set they knew that Harden probably wasn't going to be a piece of the Rockets for a long time they, they had a feeling that he would probably get traded um, so I think that the destiny kind of fulfilled itself there and with players like John Wall uh, DeMarcus Cousins who else we got uh, Christian Wood who actually now leads the Rockets in points, rebounds, and blocks. Um, that That's just going to be a, a good blend of talent. And then, of course, you're bringing in a player like Victor Oladipo from the Pacers, who's coming off of injury but is still going to have an impact. I'm pretty sure he averages near 20 points per game right now, even coming off of an injury and not necessarily playing fully like himself. Uh, so I the outlook seems to be good for Houston. Uh, they have a first year coach in Silius there. I believe that's his last name. And, um, so I think they could be a lower seed in the Western conference for the playoffs. I don't expect like a title push this year, no doubt, but, uh, still I, I, I mean, I got to think that because Harden's gone, that's a huge piece of that offense, but I think they could replace that with a, a more solid team chemistry that they didn't have at the start of this season. Now, moving to the Nets, this is obviously a win now, right? I mean, you have Harden, Durant, and Kyrie. Once Kyrie figures out his stuff and doesn't go to, uh, doesn't take time off to go to visit family and and stuff for for parties. I guess you can't blame him, but you're, I mean, you're you got to do your job too. But anyway. These three could easily put up 75 points a night. Uh, Durant averages 29. Kyrie's averaging 27. Harden's averaging 24, which is low for him. He'll probably get a numbers boost there, um, you would think. Uh, Though though it could stay the same. I'm not sure. Um, But, yeah, I mean, so you have that. And then even with all the the trading away of, say, Jared Allen and and Prince and then um, uh, Lavert there, they they still put up I, I think it was yeah it was against the Knicks on Wednesday night they only played nine guys just because of the the trade movement and all that stuff so they didn't necessarily have like a full roster of say double digit players there but seven of the nine players scored in double digits and I think uh, DeAndre Jordan their center was scored nine points so they do still have solid bench players. It's not like it's just these three guys and then that's it. Um, they can rely on their bench players when they these players have to the rest, of course, at a certain point in the game. Um, so, yeah, the Nets are, are really pushing for a title now. I don't know what the future holds. I could see it being like something when they traded for uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce from the Celtics a few years back. And uh, the, the Celtics had got an abundance of picks from the Nets that, that has now turned into their current roster pretty much with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, Marcus Smart might have been part of that mix. And, and so, uh, yeah, it's definitely a win now for the Nets and then figure figure stuff out later. Um, 
And then going into the teams that were uh, less, had less of a, I don't know, um, impact in the deal, just the other teams included, the, the Pacers, they're getting Karis LeVert, who he didn't, he was coming off of the bench for the Nets, but he was still putting up a decent amount of points, um, like, uh, could have been in the in the hunt for a six-man of the year. I don't know how he's going to pl- play into the rotation. I'm assuming he'll probably start for the Pacers, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good for them. I think they have someone who's likely a little bit more reliable than Oladipo at this point, so I, I think it's it should be an improvement. I don't know if it's going to affect necessarily the record, but um, I, I, it could be a better product on the floor. And uh, then you have the Cavs, who have an abundance of young talent, it seems like, with now you have Jared Allen. You have Colin Sexton on the roster, who's averaging 25 points per game, the point guard there. Uh, you have Darius Garland, who they drafted last year out of Vanderbilt. He's averaging around 18. You have uh, Larry Nance Jr., who was originally on the Lakers to start his career, and then now he's on the uh, the Cavs. And then you also have big men like Andre Drummond, who's averaging 18 points, 15 rebounds a game. Kevin Love, the veteran power forward there, um, was on the LeBron James Cavs teams with him and Kyrie and all that. So, yeah, the, the Cavs have the ability to maybe make a, a lower seed playoff push in the East. I think they've gotten better with their acquisitions, of course. So yeah, so that's kind of the 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 breakdown of the of the trade. I think all these teams kind of gotten better. It should be int- I think the Rockets is the are the biggest question mark of if they'll improve or not. Um, but and then of course the Pacers will probably just stay the same because uh, when you lose a guy like James Harden, regardless of the team chemistry, the offense he's able to uh, produce and the playmaking, well, his assist making uh, helps the offense as well. So, yeah, it should it should be interesting to see how the season progresses based off of this trade. Now, I want to move to the NFL not quite to the divisional round yet because there were some head coaching vacancies that were filled. And this is with the Jaguars and the Jets. So your teams that are one and two in the draft order for this um, upcoming offseason. And the Jaguars, they hired Urban Meyer, who very successful coach in college, both with the Florida Gators and the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, three total national titles. He retired from Florida because of uh, health concerns. Then he quickly went to the uh, Ohio State job probably less than a year later after being with ESPN for a little bit, doing some broadcasting stuff. Um, And then, yeah, he he starts his coaching career with the uh, Buckeyes there and eventually retires again after the 2017 season or 2018 season because of just uh apparently there he has like a cyst that causes headaches and um so 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 yeah so he uh this the stress was was too high and he just needed to take some time off he's been working with fox sports with their college football stuff uh, as these last uh, yeah the last two years i believe and now yeah he's back 
with the with the coaching this time in the NFL with the Jaguars. And there's a, probably a lot to look forward to. They have young talent that they've drafted the last couple of years here. And I think their main star is is at least right now is James Robinson and undrafted running back that they got. And he rushed for almost a thousand yards or maybe over a thousand yards. So they have that and they'll probably draft Trevor Lawrence, likely draft Trevor Lawrence. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to do some weird thing with the the, um, Ohio State connection with Justin Fields there and draft him instead of Lawrence. He understands the talent that Lawrence has, just analyzing the game, of course, for for two years now. And uh, I I mean, people are going to say, like, well, I mean, why is he coaching now? Isn't he just going to be more stressed? But the thing about college football is that if you have one loss, and especially if you have two losses, your season's over. Like, your chance for a championship is done. When in the NFL, we have a team like the Washington football team this year who goes 7-9 and nine and still makes the playoffs and has a home game being a division winner at the four seed. And... So, so it's not like, it's not like, uh, every, the, the pressure still there, but if you lose, it's not like the end of the world. It's not like, yeah, you aren't going for the, the Super Bowl anymore. Um, so that's, so that's better in that case. And with the Jets, they had, they, uh, hired Robert Sala last night. He's the former defensive coordinator now of the 49ers. And I think that's that's good for the Jets having a defensive minded coach there to to bolster that. And but they definitely need to still help on uh, offense there. Maybe that was because of former head coach Adam Gase to where the offense was stagnant. Maybe Salah can find some things to make it prosper a little bit better. But uh, I think another thing that came out of this was that it seems like or it seems likely that the Jets will probably stick with Sam Darnold at quarterback and the, with the number two overall pick they have, they could trade down and get more um, either a player or more picks just a little bit later in the draft, or they could go try to boost their offensive line and get Penny Sewell of Oregon, or even bolster their wide receiver spot with Devontae Smith, the Heisen winner had the huge national championship game on Monday there. So yeah, it looks like they're sticking with Darnold and it kind of makes sense because the trust in Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, like it, it shouldn't be much different to Sam Darnold. I think the only improvement or that you, that's reasonable to think is, is Trevor Lawrence right now and the Jets aren't going to get him. So might as well stick with Darnold Get him healthy, fully healthy, because he was beat up this season, no doubt. And uh, just see what he can do with this new regime that's in New York. Um, so moving away from the bad teams now, going into divisional round weekend here. So two games Saturday, two games Sunday, and it starts off Saturday afternoon with the Los Angeles Rams at the Green Bay Packers. And... It's concerning to me that this was even part of the news. So 
Jared Goff, as I said before, he had the thumb surgery because he yeah fractured his thumb in week 16 against Seattle. Um, he actually ended up playing last week. He was, was serving as the emergency quarterback for Wild Card Weekend. But John Walford, the quarterback that was um, in there to start the game, he got a neck injury and he's not playing again this weekend. So now Goff is in still with a healing thumb surgery injury there. And that shouldn't really matter because they did get the win against Seattle last weekend with Goff in for most of the game. So I, it makes me think that he's definitely not 100% if that's in the news that Walford's out. So now Jared Goff is, is starting. Um, and then it's also concerning how Aaron Donald, the probably the best defensive player in the league at defensive tackle there for the Rams. He had a rib injury, rib issue. Um, I don't know if it was like muscle strain, something like that, but he'll be good to go. He's probably not going to be quite 100%. So that should be interesting to see how that works. If he's limited at all when it comes to the pass rush, that's all important for the Rams to try to force errors from Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense. And just some some factors that I'm kind of picking out here is that the Rams' rush defense was weaker, comp- yeah, weaker compared to the regular season um, with the game against Seattle last weekend. And uh, yeah, it was like they allowed. 91 yards a game versus 136 uh, this past uh, weekend or wildcard weekend, but they did only allow 142 passing yards against Russell Wilson and, and the Seahawks there. So then that's, that's the thing that concerns me is that if are the Packers going to rely on Aaron Jones, open up the, the offense with play action there. So Rodgers can get the ball to Devonte Adams the pass defense is good for LA. I mean, they're yeah, so is their run defense too. But just overall, the defense is 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 solid. Is solid for the Rams, and the Packers are also very good uh, with their pass defense, a top seven in the league. So I just see the um, Packers being more consistent and. Jared Goff, I could see him making more errors than Rodgers, obviously. So that's where I see the, the separation happening. Um, Green Bay's also getting 600. Uh, let's see what we got. Oh, 6,500 fans in the stadium. And that should push them to a victory, you would think, having the biggest crowd all season. I think at most when they were doing just, uh, I guess, test of the crowd and and stuff like that later in the season. I think that at most they had a thousand fans in there at once. So it should be a better home crowd environment at Lambeau there for sure. And I, I just, because of the injury concerns and the, the, the way the Rams defense show themselves at wildcard weekend, I got to go with the Packers um, Saturday night. You have the, Baltimore Ravens at the Buffalo Bills. 
And on Wednesday, I mentioned that Lamar Jackson doesn't necessarily like playing in the snow. I don't think he ever has. He would rather not play in the snow um, for, for the football game. But there is scheduled to maybe be some showers there during the game. And I, you would think the Bills are, are hoping for snow to try to limit the Ravens rush offense that had 236 yards last game. Uh, Baltimore does have a really good defense when it comes to scoring defense. They've only allowed 19 points per game throughout the season. They allowed only 13 last weekend against the Tennessee Titans. They prevented Derrick Henry from having any success on the ground, only allowed 51 total rushing yards. And, but that's, I mean, that's, not an issue that they have to stop <laughs> when it comes to Buffalo because of Buffalo's passing game is so prolific with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, um, even John Brown. And they, uh, they just have to do what they've been doing all season, which is preventing the big play from happening. And with Josh Allen, that's going to be, that's going to be tough especially with the connection to Diggs there. And B- Buffalo may have to rely on or more on the passing game because they lost their second running back there in Zach Moss. He's probably done for the season. So now they're relying on Devin Singletary, who isn't necessarily the most effective back on the ground. Um, so if the Ravens can be able to stop that, limit the rush, and bring in an obvious passing game um, from the Bills there, you would think they would have more success. Uh, The thing that is concerning with Buffalo as well is the fact that they allowed a ton of rushing yards last game against the Colts there. Just Just the defense in general wasn't... Uh, great. It didn't didn't show promising signs, I guess. But they also did have the offense to back them up there. Um, but if yeah, if if Baltimore gets any momentum when it comes to Lamar Jackson being able to do QB sneaks and then option plays along with J.K. Dobbins there, their their star rookie running back, um, it it could be concerning. But and and both of these teams do have momentum. But to, to the back of my mind, I just can't see Buffalo at just this is it's probably going to be a high scoring game. And so I, I just don't see Buffalo's momentum being stopped on offense uh, enough to to where it results in a loss. Uh, these teams played last year and it was 24 to 17. The Ravens beat the Bills and Lamar Jackson threw three touchdown passes in that game. So if he's able to be effective, especially in the red zone when it comes to passing the ball, that could bring about concern. But you also have to remember the Bills didn't have Stephon Diggs in there, and their expectations were probably a little bit lower uh, (laughs) than – than this year's expectations when it comes to being able to win football games like these. And I think what the Bills can do well is limit their penalties. And the Ravens 
just based off of last week, I think they had nine penalties for almost 100 yards, and the Bills only had, what, two penalties for 15 yards, two penalties for 10 yards. So that's where the Bills can get a slight advantage there, reducing the amount of mistakes when it comes to penalty yards. So, yeah, so this is going to be a toss-up. I'm not going to be surprised one bit if it's a Ravens upset here, but it's, I mean, it's tough not to go with the Bills uh, given the momentum. And like I said, the Ravens carry it as well, but it's tough to stop that offense right now. Um, so those are the Saturday games. Moving on to the Sunday game. So Sunday mid-afternoon time here, like 340 or something like something weird like that. Um, you have the Cleveland Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Browns surprised a lot of people by beating the Steelers at Wild Card Weekend on Sunday night there. And um, the problem is, is that they allowed 500 passing yards still to Ben Roethlisberger, even though they got five turnovers. Uh, ben Roth, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger threw four interceptions. I don't see Patrick Mahomes doing that. Uh, NFL MVP, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, uh, I Cleveland's very reliant on making the big play on defense, forcing the turnovers because it shows in the stats and, and with the, the record with the turnover stats here that I'm about to tell you. So when they get zero turnovers in the game, they're three and four. If they have one or more turnover forced in the game, they're nine and one. The one loss came against Baltimore in week one of this season when they lost 38 to six and their fullback, the Baltimore's fullback. Uh, I mean, they don't, they don't make fullbacks anymore. Really? Um, he fumbled the ball. And, uh, so that was the one like fluky instance to where they get the loss forcing a turnover. But if you go to say they force two or more turnovers in a game, then the Browns are 7-0. and So if the Chiefs are costly with the ball, now it's it could be completely different if the Chiefs, say, have three turnovers. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they still won that game because they, what, Mahomes threw, I think, three interceptions when they play Miami, and they still won that game. So, so it could be completely different, but it, definitely can help Cleveland get them closer to a potential victory if they're able to force turnovers. Uh, I uh, unfortunately don't see it happening. I don't see Cleveland pulling off an upset here. Kansas City are like 10-point favorites right now, and I think they probably win by more than that. They'll put up at least mid thirties, I think points, they could go up to 40 or 50 as well. Uh, that would not surprise me at all coming off of a bye week basically two weeks of rest for their big starters. So yeah, I all chiefs for me. Um, then this is the, probably the most intriguing matchup of the weekend. And it's fitting that it's on Sunday night there with the bucks and the saints Tampa Bay at New Orleans, Brady versus Breeze. 
And these teams, because they're NFC South rivals, have played each other twice already this season, and the Saints have won both times. So you have Week 1, Saints won 34-23. Week 9, Saints won in a blowout 38-3. And Tampa Bay had three turnovers in both of those games. Saints in Week 1 had zero, and then in Week uh, 9 they had two. Um, The problem in Week 9 was that Tampa Bay only ran the ball five times for eight yards, which is an NFL record for fewest rushes in a game. Uh, just, just crazy to me how you have Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette as your running backs, and you only ran the ball five times in that game. I expect it to be much different. I expect it to be a very balanced pass and run. Um, at least that's what they'll try to look to, to do, though the Saints rush defense very good fourth best in the in the league Tampa Bay actually has the best rush defense but the thing about that is uh, the Saints are a little bit different when it comes to the running backs with Alvin Kamara how they rely on him in the pass catching game as well so screen passes are basically like runs for them and Kamara still had a good rushing year just under a thousand yards rushing but he also added 730 uh, <laughs> receiving yards um, as well. So there's there's a good balance with Kamara to where he's he's still very effective. And another thing that separated uh, not just the, the score, but uh, the, just the, the game with the Tampa Bay and New Orleans earlier in the season was – it was penalty yards. So the Saints have the fewest penalty yards in the league when Tampa Bay has the second most. So if Tampa Bay can play a clean game that way, that can help them do better things uh, when it comes to the scoreline. Uh, I even even with all that being said, even with all the mistakes that have happened, it's really tough to beat a team three times in a season and. That's just that has stuck more um, to me than anything about this game is that it's especially it's tough to beat Tom Brady three times in the same season. So I'm thinking upset. I'm thinking upset. I like it's it's a little little bit different compared to like the Ravens and the Bills. Another five two matchup there. I see it swaying the Bills' way, but here I think the it could sway the Buccaneers' way because I trust Brady and the offense of Tampa Bay more than Breeze and the passing offense of the Saints uh, just because of, yeah, just more weapons for Brady to throw to, and I think that their offense can keep them in the game and their defense can probably, well, you would you would hope force an equal amount or more errors uh to yeah to just give Brady a better shot and and Tampa Bay's offense a better shot of of putting up more points so I'll go with uh, Tampa Bay there and that's all I got for this episode here and um so we'll see should be a very interesting divisional round weekend here um looking forward to it I'll be going over these games on Monday. Anything else that's happening, of course. So, yeah, I will see you guys on Monday.